1: Welcome back to Real Estate Coaching Radio. And today is a, one of my favorite radio shows or types of radio shows because it's just Julie and I and all of you. So Julie, welcome back to the radio show.
2: Thank you. It's a pleasure. And it's also one of my favorite topics. So I can't wait to get presenting this to these guys so they can make a lot of money as a result.
1: And I have to say, I'm going to give credit where credit is due. Brent, one of my personal coaching clients, you're the one that inspired us. To do this radio show today, his question to me was, Coach Tim, what are a few ways that I can increase my average sale price? So, for the sake of his question and for all of those uh, listening, the topic of today's call, today's radio show, is increase your average sale price in five simple steps. Now, um, we're going. There's a lot of notes, and I want you guys to get ready to take a lot of notes. So, as you're preparing. Um, In addition to, again, thanking Brent for the inspiration for today's radio show. And by the way, guys, if you have any other topics you want Julie and I to cover, I absolutely positively encourage the feedback. Um, And you know what? I'll give you my super private secret email address. It's CoachTimHarris at gmail.com. So as you guys are getting ready to take notes, I want to also um, congratulate all of you and thank all of you for helping to push us over 100,000 listeners a month. That is an incredible goal, and I think that's in no small part to the fact that we must be delivering radio content that you guys put value on, and we're doing it frequently enough that you consistently listen. Also, you guys have been sharing. We can see online when one of our shows is shared, right? Analytics and whatnot. You guys are sharing our radio show. You're helping us get the word out, and I sincerely appreciate that. It makes me feel good. Makes Julie and I feel good. This radio show uh show takes a lot of time and you know a little bit of money to put together every day. And the results are that we are helping you guys build your businesses and take advantage of this new real estate boom. And that really honestly excites me. How about you, Jules?
2: Absolutely. We kind of live vicariously in a way, and it's just so exciting to see all of our great listeners move from one level to the next, whatever that means for them. And we love your feedback. We love that you're sharing it with other agents. So keep up the good work. It really, you know, it really makes us happy that we're having an impact. It's great to hear that.
1: It is indeed. So let's just jump right in, Julie. Let's skip a, the preamble sure. since we have a lot to cover. And I know this is a topic everybody is listening to. Now, before we get mm-hmm. to our notes, guys, I'm going to tell you a true story. So as you know, Julie and I sold real estate in lovely Columbus, Ohio. And our primary market when we got into the business was an area, wonderful areas called Worthington and Clintonville. Julie and I are from Worthington, so these were the natural places for us to start selling real estate. So what we did after not too long, I think three or four years, is we realized that we wanted to increase our average sale price. Ah, Brent's question, relevant, because Julie and I have done it. So what we did is we moved across town. We physically moved house across town uh, to an area called New Albany, Ohio. Now, New Albany, Ohio is an area that was new for us. Uh, We had no relationships. We had no contacts. We didn't know our way around. You know, it was completely and totally green pastures for us. Uh, we did it by not abandoning the old market. So in other words, we kept the phone numbers, we kept everything consistent, and we essentially, when we moved out to New Albany, Ohio, there was a different uh, area code, so we just had different signs specific to New Albany. So what I'm telling you is, is what we're going to be sharing with you today is what we actually did, because when we did move out to New Albany, Ohio, um, our average sale price went from like 220 I think, to almost a million. And this happened in less than 18 months. And um, for a little while there, we are the most dominant agents in New Albany, Ohio. So the reality, reality of it is, is you guys can do exactly what we did. We, went, uh, we didn't listen to all of what would, had been told to us about working in the upper end. So the first thing we're going to go over is the myths. And these are things that we, too, heard and we, too, experienced when we are considering jumping up markets. So, Julie, let's just jump right in again. Myths about higher-end real estate markets.
2: Yeah, these are all kind of fun because I remember all these distinctly. Myth number one, well, gosh, if you want to be in the upper end, you've got to have some kind of a secret magic in into that crowd. Total myth. Yes, that's nice, but you don't have to. So erase, erase from your brain. Number two, you have to have grown up or at least be tightly socially tied in to that upper end crowd no absolutely not a requirement and in some senses i think it's an advantage not to have grown up that way
1: well let me uh, jump in there julie, th- yeah, I, go ahead. but julie you and i so guys mm-hmm. this this is, again this is not just some random point this is what we actually experienced the realtors in uh new albany ohio a lot of them had known each other from this very elite private school they had actually grown up in this little sort of social bubble this upper end socioeconomic bubble And so back to the first and second point, you would think as an outsider looking in, there's no way I'm going to be able to crack that egg and get into that market because this sort of upper end tight, you know, skull and crossbones type, you know what I'm talking about, guys, where everyone believes that, you know, it's a closed door society and you can't possibly get in. Well, what we found was the exact opposite. When we went out there, the folks that were looking to sell their homes or purchase homes actually appreciated the fact that we weren't from that world Because they knew, and this was their perception. I'm not saying if it was right or wrong. They knew that we didn't have a sense of entitlement for their business, and we didn't act like we did. So a lot of them were entrepreneurs. Maybe they were doctors, or maybe they're business owners, or they're executives. And they, I think, at least from what they told us, were able to feel connected to Julie and I more so than maybe the people that had grown up in the sort of upper end, you know, wealthy areas. They felt more of a connection to us because in many cases, they too had pulled themselves up from their bootstraps. So it's kind of the counterintuitive, but it was an interesting experience I hope all of you guys can experience as well. So point number three, Joel.
2: Okay, point number three, myths. You have to wait years and years before you have the chops to even think about selling the upper end. And again, you hear that from a lot of agents and brokers. Well, you're just not ready for it yet. You've just got to kind of earn your way into that. Absolutely not. In fact, some of our coaching clients who just got their licenses very recently are doing some of their first deals in the upper end. Okay, so do you have to wait years and years and earn your way in? Nope, that's a myth. Point number four, upper end sellers, i.e. rich people, are much more demanding than other sellers. That's also a myth. There are demanding sellers in every neighborhood in any price range anywhere in the country. When you deal with people, a certain percentage of people are just more demanding than others. It has very little to do with their price range or their neighborhood. Myth number five, upper-end homes are just harder to sell. Well, anything's harder to sell if you have the wrong price and it doesn't show very well, but you guys know how to cure that. And if you don't, you have great coaches on staff here to help you with that. But are upper-end homes by nature harder to sell? No, and in fact, I would disagree with that. A lot of upper-end homes are a pleasure and much more interesting to sell. So, no, that's a myth. Myth number six, upper-end agents are super skilled. That's why they sell in the upper-end. In fact, Tim, you and I have noticed that that's perhaps the biggest myth that's out there, that uh, upper-end agents are really super skilled. That's not true, is it?
1: it's not even close to true and the rea- now this isn't this is a blanket statement it's a generalization perhaps an overgeneralization but here goes in most markets when you go and do like i'm thinking about Colette, Julie, who's working in on mm-hmm. buck uh, buckhead in atlanta and she's doing phenomenal and she's competing against these agents that have been in this you know more established agents in this more established area let's just say not more established professionally, but just more established, embedded into this community. And mm-hmm. she's competing against agents who've basically been selling millions and millions of dollars of the real estate and they've been doing it mostly from their social, you know, centers of influence and past clients. So, you know, some of these agents are hot stuff when they sell a dozen houses a year and they make four or five hundred thousand dollars. Well, they start to believe that they're good. They actually start to believe, well, I got this business because I'm Joe Realtor. Well, the reality of it is is they got that business because they knew somebody from the country club, they knew somebody from, or their husband or their wife knew someone professionally, or their kids you know, were in swim team together. And listen, to be clear, those are great ways to get business, no doubt. But what that leaves the door open for is you, assuming you've been coached, assuming you're following a professional system, assuming, assuming, that when you go in there and you have a professional approach, you will absolutely positively, in a competitive environment where you're competing for a listing, you will stand tall against that social agent, the agent who's basically only been taking business from you know, who they know and how they know them. So when you get skills and you go to a market like that, then you are absolutely lethal. And it, the upper end agents will not even know. And this, our own experience, they just essentially are taken aback. They, don't know, they won't understand how you're getting business they want to understand what you're doing, they'll assume it's alch- alchemy and witchcraft. <laughs> That's how it works. Right. So let's go specifically to the points about um, what you can do specifically to break into the upper end to increase your average sale price. Now, again, we're going to assume that you aren't presently selling a lot of upper end homes for the sake of these points, or at least not many. And we're also going to assume, and I know this is a big assumption, so bear with me on this one, that, you're, that you are uh, using a professional approach. In other words, you have a pre-listing pack that's professional. It's not just a bunch of pages thrown in a folder. That you are using a listing presentation versus what a lot of you do, which just show up with a yellow tablet of paper and hope for the best, okay? So we're going to assume that you've had some professional training, and most importantly, that you were actually applying it and you're taking a professional approach. So with those uh, remembrances in mind, Julie, how to increase your average sale price, point number one. Yes, so point number one, choose an upper-end
2: market to target upper-end areas tend to be in the form of smaller communities, smallish neighborhoods, small being relative, of course. That can mean different things in different markets. But choose a market that isn't past its prime or being overshadowed by a newer, more trendy market. And, you know, we have lots of examples of that. A lot of times a new golf course will come into town and it'll just smoke the last one and everybody will bail on the last one and move up to the next new shiny neighborhood. So before you decide to attack a particular neighborhood, actually do some research and know what you're getting into. One way to compare that is point number two. How do you figure out what's a good upper-end market to target? Well, point number two, actually know your statistics on these markets cold. What statistics do you need to know that will help you with this? Average days on the market. What's the expired rate? who are the top agents in that market? Is there a super dominant number one player? Or is the market split up amongst several different semi-dominant agents? So if you have two neighborhoods that are equal and one of them is basically locked up by one company and the other one also has the same stats but it's kind of being shared by several agents, the second one is gonna be better for you to break into. It's just going to be easier, it makes more sense. So days on the market, you're going to compare. I'll give you an example from our old market. You know, Muirfield, very famous golf course, used to be the neighborhood. It was big, spread out, beautiful homes. But when New Albany came into town, new, shiny, brand new, different style, you know, up-and-coming neighborhood, it kind of sucked the life out of Muirfield for quite a few years. So the days on the market increased in Muirfield. They were shorter in New Albany. Everybody was bailing on Muirfield to go there. And historically, over time, you can take many different examples of this. So you want to be, if you have to choose, and right now we're doing this on purpose, you have the advantage of actually choosing what you go after, which, again, is also an advantage over those agents who might have grown up in that neighborhood. Well, you get to choose, so know your stats and go after the up-and-coming if you have that choice to make. If you are the agent who grew up in that upper-end market and you're living there and you just haven't taken advantage of that, well, that's something to think about as well. So how to increase your average sale price? Well, we're talking about selecting the right neighborhood in the first place. Then what do you do? Point number three, Tim, you got to study the competition.
1: Okay. Julie, are you there?
2: Yep. Okay. So get yep. as much – yeah, I was – Passing it over to you. So, studying oh, the top okay, competition, so that, what what so do
1: you see by that? I'll, I'll take, I'll take okay. the toss. Well, you know, actually, there I, was you thinking, go. I was I was writing Burled. something down. Yeah, thanks. I was writing something down while you were talking. I was saying okay. I need to actually supplement that last point by saying the choice of your brokerage matters. Um, what has That's a tendency true. to happen is in most upper end areas, uh, when you know agents are um, you know sellers are choosing an agent, they're going to choose who they perceive to be the most dominant agents at the top two or three most dominant brokerages. So upper-end folks will have a tendency um, to be a little bit more selective. And that actually is uh, true, too, even if they do have a personal relationship with the realtor. Now, in truly upper-end areas, they will make you guys, you know, you will have to compete. It is going to be a bit of a beauty contest. That's the nature of it. So when you're choosing, um, you know, back to the market stats and whatnot, what you'll have a tendency to see is there's going to be one dominant upper-end agent at, you know, ABC Real Estate. And then there'll be, and that person will have, generally speaking, double-digit market share. Only focus on the number of listings that they're selling. Don't worry about the buyer sides, because it's easier to understand. You know, Honestly, if you have listings, you control the market. The next uh, tier below that, what you're going to see is the agent that generally sells half of what the number one agent does. And the number three agent is usually right there in competition with number two. So number one in almost every established upper end market is running away with it, at least statistically. And number two, or, number two and three are duking it out. And like I said, number, generally speaking, you're going to see two or three dominant brokerages in there. That's the typical scenario for most established upper-end markets, and that's the perfect scenario for you to go in there and disrupt. Why? Because what will happen is, um, as houses expire, and I think even though we are experiencing a lack of inventory if, for in most major markets, it's not true for all markets. So if, as what happens is housings, uh, as these upper-end homes have a tendency – to go through typically two or three listing periods. And what will happen is the sellers will have interviewed all those perceived top agents in the marketplace. They'll have heard their cat and monkey show. Maybe they'll have even listed with a couple of them. And at that point, they're done with the local talent and they're looking for they're looking for somebody new. That's another opportunity. When you see these types of things happening where there's expired, that's a golden opportunity. Even if you're in one of our markets like our coaching clients where we have You know, people standing in line for multi-million dollar homes. We have lots of you guys that are experiencing markets like that. These rules still play out, you know, as far as how the dominance is. But I'm thinking of my agents in Seattle and Manhattan Mm -hmm. and certain parts of California, or or even stuff that's tens of millions of dollars seems to sell overnight. The selection process still works uh, the same. That, you know, this is the little extra stuff that you guys don't, that you sometimes will forget. So point number three is study the competition. Get as much info as you can on them. Maybe even consider, or having somebody without a real estate license, uh, call and do some, get some intel. You know, you guys are hearing this right now and you're saying, oh my gosh, you're saying I should spy on my competition? Yep, I'm saying you should spy on your yes. competition. You need, to know, you need to know what, what the experience is. You need to know how long they take to return calls. You need to know what their pre-listing pack, if they have one looks like. You need to know all of that stuff because it gives you insight into what experience these prospective sellers are having as well. And I'll tell you something funny. I mean, it's funny with, I mean, not really funny, but it's true. Um, when you're going on listing, when you get a call from a seller, never sit on that lead. I, oh, Tim, what are you talking about? I would never do that. And yet a lot of you do, Right. So, when you get a listing lead from any seller, call them back immediately and book the appointment immediately after you pre-call, pre-call them using our scripts. Do that immediately, not later, not when it's convenient, not when you get around to it. Don't tell yourself, well, I don't want to seem so too desperate, because what's happening is psychologically the seller's making a decision, especially if it's an expired seller, expired listing. They're making their decision on who they're going to hire based on the timeliness of your simple lead follow-up. And sometimes when you're on a listing appointment, you can bring that up. Again, if you're using our pre-listing pack and you bring up the communications guarantee, one of the points is you'll return all calls from all sellers within you know, whatever amount of time you say, five minutes, three minutes, two minutes, ten minutes, whatever you say on your uh, communications guarantee. Uh, students, you know what I'm talking about. Those of you who aren't students, maybe you should learn about our pre-listing pack. So the reality of it is, is you're putting in writing what, how you're going to be communicating with these uh, prospective sellers your competition certainly not doing that. It's always fun, again, especially if it's an expired listing, to bring up the question to the seller, how long did it take for your other agents to call you back when you called them about the job, About you know, to, in, in, calling them out to interview for the job of selling your home, how long did they take to call you back? And when they say, well, you know, one of them hasn't ever called me back and two of them called me back the next day, and then you say, well, how long did it take for me to call you back? I mean, these tiny, tiny little things, guys, are the little secret sauce things and how you can break into the upper end. Lead follow-up, urgent lead follow-up, furiously fast lead follow-up, is what we call it, Mm -hmm. is absolutely important. So know how your competition operates. Know everything about their systems. Know how long it takes for them to uh, follow up on an email lead. Get all the intel you possibly can, because then you know what you're competing against. Acknowledge them for their strengths when you're analyzing your competition. See where they're stronger emulate their strengths, and, and then frankly, uh, look to see where they're weak. And again, it's typically communication, um, or it's you know, presentation, it's lack of um, a pre-listing pack or whatever. So exploit their weaknesses and emulate their strengths. It's competition, guys. I know this is scary for some of you, or some of you are saying, oh, Tim, you're talking about fellow realtors, and we're all in it together. Yes, you're all in it together, but you got to remember at the end of the day, only one person is getting paid two if there's a uh, you know, co-op transaction. This is competition. If it's your fear of competition that's been holding you back, um, we have a new, uh, I was just chatted by our uh, producer that I'm supposed to talk about this. If you guys need a free coaching call, you can go to freecoachingcallsforagents.com. You know about that. Or you can just call 800, uh, you can call 866-999-8164. It's 866-999-8164. And you can literally have a free coaching call right away with one of our great coaches. All right, so point number four, Jules.
2: Ah, one of my favorite points of how to jump into the upper end because it's so much fun to use this one, and it is getting really good at expireds. Expireds in the upper end are the gateway for you to get into the market. Chances are they already listed with one or possibly even more of the local perceived, you know, agents du jour, right? Right and that agent or agents have failed already for them. Chances are they're burned out on those local agents and will welcome your fresh approach. And we're not just saying this because of the radio show, because we're coaches. We're saying this because we lived this. <laughs> and I remember, Tim, one of our first break-in listings what had been listed with not one, not two, not three, but four agents for four long years. And then we listed it, Talk them into some sanity on their pricing, a little bit of staging, and we sold it. Then we used that as a springboard, and that was one of the best postcards ever, right? So listed previously with four agents for four years, Tim and Julie Harris sold it in 31 days for 98% of list price. Because one of the other nice facts about expireds is once you get them priced right and they're being coachable about fixing any negative feedback – Typically, expireds actually have pretty low days on the market once they're relisted. So I love expireds, and it is one of the best ways to break in, especially if you don't already have any kind of market share in the area, because they've already burned out the agents who would have been your competition on the front end that you may or may not have won that listing against that country club, golf club agent, the marketing agent, the one that goes to, you know, their kids go to school together that would have been your competition and they have now let that seller down. So again, they're ready for your fresh approach. Other awesome things about expireds, it's been market tested. You know what probably the wrong price is. You already have some feedback. Some of the pictures have been done. You know so much more about an expired than you do a fresh listing. You can look at the MLS history. You can see how it's been marketed or not marketed. Do you remember, Tim, we used to have a collection of the world's most lame home brochures? For we'd say give, this don't is give, what you were getting.
1: Don't give away <laughs> all ahead, of our secrets. I know, I, you know, I should. have thrown. I know. Me too. I should have thrown in another myth. The seventh myth that we should have talked about at the top of the call. You just actually made me think of it. Is that expired mm-hmm. are you know, like somehow less desirable listings, or there's something wrong with them? Most times, you know, Julie touched on it, price condition location, but price overcomes all other objections. Sometimes all it literally takes, guys, is having to pull it out of the MLS and giving it a fresh, uh, fresh MLS number, fresh pictures, uh, being honest to the sellers about the condition. On upper end sellers, you want to hire probably a stager to help them, uh, things like that. So these are all, I, I mean, we don't have time today on the radio show to talk about all the little things. You guys got to really check your mindset about expireds. Uh, I'll give you an example, Rob, who sells up in Greenwich, Connecticut, whose average sale price is like $6 million, a personal client of mine, you know, we are talking about this very topic, you know, and here he is on the upper end, we we're talking about the different sources of business. Well, he didn't think there were any for sale by owners. Well, on the call, I found some for sale by owners. One of them was for $11 million. Okay, so in <laughs> every <do>. market, <laughs> that'll do, right? And the other thing that's interesting is a lot of upper end markets, uh, I'm thinking of you in LA, Southern California. I'm thinking of you in Florida, Carolinas. A lot of the upper-end sellers became uh, involuntary landlords during the Great Recession. A lot of those folks would more than happily sell those properties if you call them and tell them that, guess what, the market's back. and You can sell out of this property and move on. A lot of them would happily do that, but they're in the, you know, the rut of being they're getting their management. They're getting their check every month from their management company, and they just haven't stopped to think about it. And, of course, the management company hasn't told them that now is a good time to sell because they want to probably keep them as a management client. Get the whole point? Absentee landlords. Guys, there's a long list, even in the most elite areas in the country, and you know a lot of those, co- and a lot of those realtors are our coaching clients, in the most elite areas in the country, there's very defined ways you can go after this business. It's not that complicated, and it's plentiful. All right, we have a one major point and one minor point. Point number five, Jules. My number
2: five is to actually consider physically moving your family to the market that you want to break into, or at the very least, become part of that community. So upper end people, just like everyone else, will prefer to do business with people who are like them. So when in Rome, right, be more like them by possibly moving. So what does that mean? You know, maybe you're trying to break into a a market that has an average sale price of a million dollars, but the entry level is 400 that's one way to break in if you're not ready to chew off the million-dollar price tag, right? That's okay. Some of you guys, you know, especially on our younger end of clients, buy a townhome that has the same zip code and the same phone number exchange. If you don't want to do that, make sure that your phone number does sound like a local number. I know a lot of our clients are working two different markets, and when they're in this part of Manhattan, they get this phone number. When they're in that part, they have to use a different number so that they are more like the people that they are prospecting so either physically move and do the whole works or at least become better at blending in and becoming more like that community that you're working so bonus and this is related to the physically moving things is kind of like you know again blend in better upgrade everything you need to look and feel like the market you're going after this absolutely does matter if you pull up to a seller's house in a Hyundai and the neighborhood is mostly Mercedes they will notice that I mean that's just a fact so some of you guys are going to get your feathers ruffled over that but here's how I look at it if you know how to win the game just play the game to win that's it if you know that that's a factor then figure it out that doesn't mean you have to go and sign yourself up for a $1,500 a month lease payment you can buy a couple year old use Mercedes if that's what helps you blend in that's okay what's not okay is not thinking that this kind of thing matters So again, when we started presenting these points, we did make a couple of assumptions, which is that you have your pre-listing package done, you have a polished listing presentation. That pretty much is required to break into the upper end, but the rest of those myths that we talked about, Tim, none of that stuff matters. So really, in terms of being able to do this, virtually any agent at any part of their career should be able to handle this. And why not look at this? Why not take this seriously? If you're going to do 50 deals this year, would you rather do them at two hundred or would you rather do them at eight hundred thousand? It's
1: basically the same work. Well, it is, and really the biggest thing I hope you guys are all taking away are sellers are sellers. You know, sellers are sellers. They're all the same. They're all, you know, it's it's funny too when you are talking with a seller, the same prequel script that you're supposed to use talking with mm-hmm. a seller of a ten million dollar house is the same one you you uh, use talking to the guy with a ten dollar trailer. <laughs> you know, it's the exact right. same process. The pre-listing pack that we subscribe to you guys to use and our students get for free, um, You know, guess what? The same one works regardless of price point. The same concerns that a seller in upper-end house has are the same exact ones that a seller in any price range has. Literally, the conversations are identical, but the approach, the approach to the conversations is what you need to update. It's what you need to change and take into consideration. Sometimes when we have a private coaching client and they ask the question, how to break into the upper-end, and we tell them that they do have to clean up their acts, they do have to start wearing nicer clothes, they do have to you know, blend in more, they take offense to it. Well, you know what? Then you're not really truly desirous of going after that upper end market. It's something in your head that's basically telling you that for some reason you're not good enough for that price range. And that's the other thing we see sometimes is folks just not comfortable with dealing with what they perceive to be rich people. Rich people are just like you. And the reality of it is, is there more just like you than you think because they were probably in your exact situation when they were starting their businesses? Very The myth, here's a myth, the myth that most people that are well-off rich, if you will, were born with it, they were given it, it's, it's an absolute stone-cold lie. In America, anyway, most folks that are well-off earned it and they're first generation. So when you're in the upper end area and the gates open and you're surrounded by Mercedes and Stone columns. You have to remember that a majority of those people literally are bootstrapping at entrepreneurs like you. They've done well. They're smart. You know how it is when you're around another um, entrepreneur, another around, uh, around another business owner. There's that sort of that energy, the, 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 the spirit that flows amongst those of us who have the courage, the audacity, and maybe a little bit of stupidity to work for ourselves. Well, they're going to feel that on you, and that's going to resonate with them. You're like them, you see? You are like them. I don't care what country you come from. You know, we have lots of folks that are you know, not born in America. It doesn't matter. Uh, it do, I don't care what your ethnicity is. I don't, it doesn't matter. You can go after this price point. Stop believing that you're not good enough for it. Stop believing that you don't have the skills and the talents for it. The skills and the talents that work in any price range work with the upper end. But like I said, the approach changes. You need to look like them. You need to you know, act like them to an extent that they believe that you're going to attract buyers that are like them. If you pull up in, the, in their nice stone driveway or their brick driveway and you're driving a dirty pickup truck and you know, they're going to say to themselves, maybe even say it out loud, how the hell would you possibly be able to bring a prospective buyer from my little mini estate if you're yourself not actually in that circle, in that center of influence in that world, and if you're from a relatively modest-sized town like where Julie and I are from, uh, you know, in Columbus, Ohio, that area of uh, you know, that, that realm of folks that are in those price points, it's really small. If you're in L.A., where your average sale price are in the millions, well I mean, then you know, your upper end is going to start at about 10 million. And I'm thinking of you guys in Newport Beach, California. We have a lot of coaching clients in Southern California and San Diego and Laguna Beach, of course, then on up the coast. You know, those upper end areas, upper end doesn't really start in your markets until you get up to three and a half, four and a half million. A million, a million and a half, well, that's just an entry level house, isn't it? So this is all, you know, you have to kind of put it in perspective where it is that you have psychologically decided where you're most comfortable and then challenge yourself. So if you find yourself, selling in, you know, uh, you know, what am I thinking, um, Malibu, let's say, and you're just selling the $800,000 condos and the 1000000 dollars you know, condos and whatnot, and that's kind of where you find yourself in your career and you're jealous and envious of, like, our superstar Madison Hildebrand who's selling five and $6 million houses. Well, maybe you need to stop yourself and you need to ask yourself, what do I need to do to get in that price point? Well, how can I change my approach? And then it all comes back to the same thing comes back to your, your approach, again, your attitude, uh, and your presentation, and your skill set, and then you can do it. There's no limitations, guys, in what you can do except those that you set for yourself. Julie, anything else well, you'd so like Tim, to say to these guys? Uh,
2: yeah, a first step, you know, because these guys are thinking, what do I do? So two things I want to say. Some of you guys that are in inventory-starved markets that have told yourself there are no expireds and there are no for sale by owners need to check that fact. What causes expireds? Generally overpricing. In your superheated markets, you guys are all trying to price it right up to that last, you know, pushing your luck. So, yes, there are expireds and for sale by owners everywhere. You just have to make sure you know about them. Secondly, next steps. I found, Tim, that most agents are comfortable selling up to the price range that they live in. I've noticed that over the years of coaching that generally that's where it ends. So if you have a certain price range where you start to get a little uncomfortable, Go preview like crazy this weekend and get familiar with those types of homes. Dress as if you are the listing agent and start to play the part. That's a good first step to break the ice and get you to be more familiar. And then you can jump into the expireds. If you don't have a pre-listing package, you don't have a formal listing presentation, that's something to work on as well. So this is something that you guys can absolutely embrace and work on, and we're here to help you if you need help. So back to you, Tim. That's
1: right. Well, no, that, I mean, yeah, I mean, Julie and I used to go out to New Albany back when we were anticipating years in advance of moving out there and, and, and attacking that market, as as Julie said. We used to go out there and we'd go on walks uh, on Saturday afternoon. Mm-hmm. We'd get to know the area. We'd learn the streets. We'd really become, we'd make it so that there was no way we wouldn't know our way around town Um, for the sake of selling real estate. Yeah, there's still a lot we had to learn when we moved out there. Uh, but the fact is, is that we had a high level of familiarity with it. And it, take on this challenge you know it's funny Julie I don't remember if you remember this but National Association of Realtors did that little story about us after we actually mm-hmm. broke into New Albany do you remember that article he did I do I can picture yes. what
2: that but, picture was in the magazine yeah
1: yeah it was a terrible picture but in any event yes so <laughs> guys if there's anything we can do for you uh, obviously request a free coaching call you can call 866 999 8164, or go to freecoachingcallsforagents.com. In the meantime, everyone, we'll talk with you on the radio tomorrow. Have a fantastic day. And please do, as always, share this replay with as many of your friends and fellow realtors as you possibly can. We sincerely appreciate your support. Help us get to, let's say, 250,000 by June of regular listeners. What do you think, Jules? Absolutely. Let's do it. (laughs) All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. So like a lot of you, our business is growing quickly. I mean, matter of fact, since the beginning of the year, we have added between coaches and salespeople over 50 people. And one of the <laughs> constant challenges we have is, like you, communication. So how do we all keep in contact with each other? We have actually upgraded our entire systems to VTech phones. Now, I personally was very fearful of getting into the whole, you know, figuring out what phone system to use. And I was very tempted to even do what a lot of you are probably doing, just say, well, the heck would I? I'm just going to go with a cell phone and use that for everything. But unfortunately, cell phones have a lot of limited use, the dropped calls, the receptions, the audio quality, all that good stuff. That's the reason that we are looking for a really great solution, and we went with VTech phones. And now, the wonderful thing about VTech phones, and I'm going to give you guys some more specific, specific information about that now, is that they're just so easy to use. They're just plug and play. You don't need an IT guy. You don't need to call out you know, your phone guy. It's simple. It's an elegant solution that all of you need to seriously consider, whether it's just you and an assistant, or it 's you and your in your team, or frankly, the vtech four line small business phone system might even be perfect if you are working out of your house and use it as your home phone. VTech's new four-line small business phone system is the perfect solution for small business owners that need to install a phone system that has the qualities and features that they have previously only been available for companies with bigger budgets. The new system is the most affordable and easy to install four-line system on the market. The four-line small business phone system components include the main console and the optional of expandable cordless desk sets, cordless accessory handsets, cordless headsets, and speaker phones, allowing the system to grow alongside a business up to 10 Extensions. The VTech four-line small business phone system components are available in stores and online at Office Depot, OfficeMax, and Staples, as well as online at VTechPhones.com.
0: This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at TimAndJulieHarris.com.